Welcome to The Christian Atheist, where faith and reason fuse in the Incarnation. Episode number 96, Paradise Lost, Book 10, Evil Got, Fractured Relation. In Episode 3 of our series on Paradise Lost, we covered the divine superlatives, those perfections and ideals that make God, well, God. These superlatives generally take the form of God is, followed by the analogical ideal, as in God is light, God is love, or God is goodness, or value, etc. At the root of all these superlatives, however, is God's name, Yahweh, which is the claim of being itself, the divine cogito, I am. When we say God is, then, followed by a superlative, we each time use this fundamental superlative to express all other superlatives. As Christ is King of King and Lord of Lords, the name of God, so unspeakably high that the Hebrews by the time of Jesus ceased to utter it aloud, is the superlative of superlatives. One of the great mistakes that our atheistic culture makes concerning theism is that it considers God a being, one among others. This is to miss the most basic revelation of the Hebrew Scriptures. God is not a being, but being itself, and this not in a pantheistic way, which would be to fall back into the idea that God is a being among beings. No, God is being, or existence, in a superlative way, in a way that stands outside and above the order of creation, of being as we understand it. To clarify this point, we turn our attention to another biblical superlative, expressed in the Hebrew Shema, that is Deuteronomy 6.4. Shema Yisrael Adonai Elohenu. Adonai Echad. This prayer is traditionally spoken with eyes covered. God is beyond our vision, too. And in translation reads, Hear, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The name of the Lord, though in speech substituted by Adonai, Lord, is actually Yahweh in the text. Expressing the point, then, in our superlative form, God is one, or alternatively, God is unity. This designation, like all superlatives, is not meant to be an addition to God's being. He is not being and unity. His being is unity. He is one. This is not so of the created order in which there is a plurality of beings, each separate, that is, analogues of unity, though in relation both to other created beings and to the Creator. These considerations, however, lead us to another divine superlative. God is relation, and this superlative, like the others, is not an addition to God's being, but of His very essence. Thomas Aquinas called this subsistent relation. And although I've never heard it discussed in Protestant theological circles, it seems to me required 
for Western theism. For instance, the Trinity is this relational quality within unity. It is paradoxical, but not irrational, exactly paralleling number theory. I am practicing here what I have called in my dissertation a hermeneutics of inclusion. To take a concrete example from Book 10 of Paradise Lost, we have two divine superlatives in practical conflict in the relation of God to man in the fall. One, God is mercy. And two, God is justice. God's being cannot be compromised, as his being is superlative, ideal, and all that he is, is one, the perfect harmonious relation that is unity. His mercy, then, cannot conflict with his justice. And yet, man's sin disturbs that relation, not in God, but between God and man. In an earlier iteration on this theme, Satan's fall is likewise a disturbance of the divine order of relation. As the highest of the angels, Lucifer was placed by God according to the divine order of relation, his own reflected perfection. It was the violation of this relation that constituted Satan's sin. He aspired to step outside the perfect order of relation, that which is unity, and create his own order. He fractured the relation of God to his creation, as he was granted the free will to do. All sin is thus fractured relation. Book 10 opens with God sending his Son to judge man fallen, representing in the person the unity of the Son, both perfect justice and perfect mercy. Easy it may be seen that I intend mercy colleague with justice, sending thee, man's friend, his mediator, his designed both ransom and redeemer voluntary, and destined man himself to judge man fallen. To which the Son replies, I go to judge on earth these thy transgressors. But thou knowest, whoever judged, the worst on me must light when time shall be. For so I undertook before thee. And not repenting, this obtain of right, that I may mitigate their doom on me derived. Yet I shall temper so justice with mercy, as may illustrate most, them fully satisfied. God is thus relation to himself, perfect balance and integration. Mercy as parted from justice is no mercy at all. Justice not balanced with mercy is not justice. That sin is flight from proper relation is graphically illustrated in the words of the Son immediately following. He says that his judgment, as well as his mercy, will fall on Adam and Eve in his presence in Eden. Quote, Those two. The third best absent is condemned, convict by flight, and rebel to all law. The third best absent is Satan. And he is best absent because absence is the anti-superlative of presence, of true relation to God. Satan, as we have seen, is constantly skulking and hiding, seeking not to relate but to avoid relating, 
to flee relationship with his creator, to deny reality, rebel to all law by setting up on his own. However fallen man, he stands to be judged, maintains relation even when fractured. Satan flees, both in heaven, throwing himself down to hell rather than face the sun, or here in the garden when the sun appears, lines 337 to 339. Adam hides from God, displaying the fractured relation. But when the divine called, come forth, he came, and with him Eve, discountenanced both, and discomposed. Love was not in their looks, either to God or to each other, but apparent guilt and shame and perturbation, and despair, anger, and obstinacy, and hate, and guile. They bear the marks of broken relation. Perturbation, despair, anger, obstinacy, hate, and guile. But also self-consciousness in guilt and shame. Right relation, proper order, is broken in husband and wife, both to God and to each other. And while Adam and Eve bear the characteristics of Satan's in their appearance before God, they appear before him. Come at his call. Face the fractured relation and divine judgment for it. Satan, in his flight, denies relation. Adam's lame excuses blaming both Eve and God for his choice, is rebuked as a failure of proper self-relation. The divine judge rebukes Adam for failing to properly relate to God, to Eve, and to himself. Was she thy God, that her thou didst obey before his voice? Or was she made thy guide, superior, or but equal, that to her thou didst resign thy manhood, and the place wherein God set thee above her, made of thee and for thee, whose perfection far excelled hers in all real dignity. Adorned she was indeed, and lovely to attract thy love, not thy subjection. And her gifts were such as under government well seemed, unseemly to bear rule, which was thy part and person. Hadst thou known thyself aright? Adam's error, his sin, is breaking proper relation. Adam has failed in that famous Western virtue, set in stone above the oracle at Delphi, Gnothi se alton, know thyself. Had Adam properly related to Eve as head, as responsible for her rather than to her, and thus in the divine order of relation to himself as created in God's image, that is, as under government well seemed, he had not fallen. But while man's fall reflects a failure of relationship, there is also a redemptive story here. Before Adam throws Eve under the bus, he soliloquizes, 
reflecting the divine conflict of justice and mercy in God that we looked at earlier, finding a noble conflict between his love for Eve and a moral commitment to truth. Adam sore beset, replied, Oh, heaven, in evil strait this day I stand before my judge, either to undergo myself the total crime or to accuse my other self, the partner of my life, whose failing, while her faith to me remains, I should conceal, and not exposed to blame by my complaint. In this way, Adam takes responsibility for Eve, and his loyalty to and love for her reflects at the lower level the dilemma of God in relation to man. Having broken, however, with the divine relation, man's resources cannot reconcile the conflicting moral claims. Once the divine relation is fractured, only the divine perfection can restore it. Man, by putting himself out of proper relation to God, makes proper relation to himself and others impossible, makes the moral dilemma real rather than apparent. This, however, also highlights the consequences of fractured relations, as it is the fracture itself that causes the conflict. When the relation to God is pure, unbroken, there can be no conflict of truth with loyalty or love, as in the divine order and structure all is proper relation. It is the break in relation that causes the conflict, the moral dilemma, the opportunity for resentment, deception, and all the other ways of missing the mark. It is a failure of proper relation that makes bad faith, lying to oneself and others, actual. Proper relation is absolute clarity. Thus, God is light. Man nor angel having anything to hide. Unobstructed relation. Honesty is the status quo. Dishonesty can only raise its evil face when light is obstructed, when proper relation is fractured. Thus, Eve can say to Satan in Book 9, when tempted, Of this tree we may not taste nor touch. God so commanded, and left that command sole daughter of his voice. The rest we live law to ourselves. Our reason is our law. When we accept the evident, the reality God reveals to us, and on that basis reason, that is, properly relate to our world, ourselves, and our God, we can trust that goodness, God's law, God's character, His image in us, is sufficient to lead us to truth, to God. In this, man's true freedom lies, to live consistent with the Logos. In himself as imago dei, in nature and science as the created order, with the other as imago dei and with God himself. It is when proper relation is broken, as Adam says, that, quote, strict necessity subdues me, and calamitous constraint, end quote. 
Slavery, as we have seen in the character of Satan throughout Paradise Lost, is the result of broken relation. Satan serves evil, but desires good. He lives the contradiction in his mind, tortured, enslaved, hating what he loves, loving what he hates. This is not how God created him, but, paradoxically, free will turning on itself, enslaving itself, choosing slavery. He relates properly neither to himself, nor to his world, nor to his God. Here in Book 10, Satan embraces his name, the adversary, quote, For I glory in the name, antagonist of heaven's almighty king. Satan stands, then, in opposition to all relation, all reality, all truth, the denial of all divine superlatives of God himself. This is the logic, the antilogos of nihilism, which is rationality in fractured relation to truth. I cannot resist this moment in Book 10 to again push the devastating reality of this Hegelian logic in our contemporary world. Adam, discussing God's judgment, contrasts Satan's logic with God's in this way. How can he, that is God, exercise wrath without end on man, whom death must end? Can he make deathless death? That were to make strange contradiction, which to God himself impossible is held. An argument of weakness, not of power. God himself is bound by his logos, his reason, another of those divine superlatives, those fundamental realities which make God, God. He cannot contradict himself or be at odds with himself, as this would be weakness, not omnipotence. Adam reasons, thinking clearly about these issues, honestly examining himself, his rationalizations, and his blame cast on both Eve and God, and concludes, him, that is God, after all disputes, forced I absolve. All my evasions, vain and reasonings, though through mazes, lead me still but to my own conviction. First and last on me, me only, as the source and spring of all corruption, all the blame lights do. Thus, what thou desirest and what thou fearest alike destroys all hope, and concludes thee miserable beyond all past example and future, to Satan only like both crime and doom. Returning to truth and logos, Adam recognizes the contradictions he has admitted into his mind, the image of Satan displacing the image of God with which he was endowed, the fractured relations he has brought to himself, his world, his marriage, his God. Like Job, Adam says to God, having followed the Logos, I know you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, Who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, Listen now, 
and I will speak. I will question you, and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job 42 Eve echoes this proper reasoning, that is, proper relation to God, to Adam, to her world and herself, in her response to Adam near the end of Book 10. On me, already lost, me than thyself, more miserable. Both you and I, Adam, have sinned, but thou against God only, I against God and thee and to the place of judgment will return, there with my cries importune heaven, that all the sentence from thy head removed may light on me, sole cause to thee of all this woe, me, me only, just object of his ire. Thus, as we saw at the beginning of this book, the fractured relations brought on by sin can be reconciled only in the perfection of the divine relation, by returning to the place of judgment, as mirrored here in Adam's response to Eve. If prayers could alter high decrees, I to that place would speed before thee, and be louder heard, that on my head all might be visited. Thy frailty and infirmer sex forgiven, to me committed, and by me exposed. But rise, let us no more contend, nor blame each other, but strive in offices of love, how we may lighten each other's burden in our share of woe. And the place of judgment is the mind of God, God himself in all his superlative reality. If we seek the healing of our fractured relations, whether personal, natural, conjugal, or social, what better can we do than to the place repairing where he judged us, prostrate fall before him reverent, and there confess humbly our faults, and pardon beg, with tears watering the ground and with our sighs the air frequenting, sent from hearts contrite, in sign of sorrow unfeigned and humiliation meek. When angry most he seemed, and most severe, what else but favor, grace, and mercy shown? I am a Christian, with the searching and skeptical mind of an atheist. I don't want to believe anything that isn't true. I know both sides of the looking glass, and I know them with open eyes. I choose Christ's side. I invite you to join me from wherever you stand before the looking glass. That's this week's episode. Thanks for listening. And remember, you can have your religious cake and eat it too. You can have reason, respect for science, a 21st century worldview, and be a Christian.